Welcome to the Vortex Nation podcast brought to you by lovers of hunting, shooting, public lands, the Second Amendment, and good food. Exciting new podcast lined up for you guys here. First focal plane versus second focal plane. It's a question we get all the time, whether from listeners, people on social media, on the phone. Now, a little behind the scenes for you guys here. This was actually our first recorded episode. Now, MC Ryan's informed me that this is going to be aired now as episode nine. So a little bit strange. You might hear us reference that first episode there in the uh, in the recording. But actually, the reason being is because at the very end of this episode, if you stick around, we're going to mention an exciting brand new product. And actually, when we first recorded this, we thought it was going to be released a little bit sooner than it actually was. So uh, after that slight delay, now we're able to release this for you guys. It's pretty exciting. So all the info here is still very solid. Like we said, first focal plane versus second focal plane. And then definitely stick around. You're going to hear some cool information on that brand new product. We're going to do our best at explaining something for you without being able to show it to you. It was a little bit new for us when we were first starting on this podcast, but we had a lot of fun. Here we go, folks. Let us know what you think. Let's do it. All right, everybody. Good afternoon. At least it's afternoon here where we are at the Vortex Optics headquarters in Barneville, Wisconsin. Coming at you with some very special guests from the Vortex office today. Uh, Going to talk about some, some riveting topics. But first, introductions to my left. If you could see us, we've got Ryan Muckenhern. Good day. Good day, Vortex Nation. Ryan, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, member of the Vortex Nation, uh, here employed for approximately three and a half years, coming up on four years. Been a Vortex fan for probably eight. Uh, introduced the brand... Uh, kind of the, the latter part of the 2000 and changes. Avid hunter, avid outdoorsman, uh, love shooting, reloading, hiking, foraging, cooking things outside. Yeah. Maybe that's why we're such good friends. That could be. A high, true man's man. High probability. Moving along, Jim Hamilton. Howdy. What's your story? Member of the Vortex Nation since birth. <laughs> I like he this. was born into it. <laughs> I like this place quite a bit. Absolutely love Barneveld. This is the coolest place ever. I really wish that every single one of you listeners could be out here to enjoy a little bit of this public that we get a nice view of out out front across the parking lot, right out here. And uh, anyway, I enjoy shooting, getting into hunting. I'm planning on as, as much as I possibly can. Uh, I like to make Mark frustrated with the fact that I really want to go Western hunting as much as possible with a lever gun. <laughs> it just, it just, you're going to buck the norm. Right, right. Got to do it. But anyway, love weird guns too. I'm known around the office as Weird Gun Jim. So, yeah, it, I don't, all it right. does not frustrate me at all. I find it, I find it fascinating. As well as, I respect your desire to make to, life more difficult to, for myself. To make life more difficult for yourself and take things on in a unique way. I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. I'll take that as a compliment. It, it it truly is. It truly is. It's a good. It's a good little niche to own. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Well, that's me. Paul Nice, everybody. Hey, I have been around this place for about. 22 years now, so a long stretch. Um, my background comes mostly from big game hunting. Um, spent about 20 years as a licensed guide out in Idaho, and uh, that led into a great career here at Vortex, talking about rifle scopes and binos and spotters and getting everybody educated on how to use them. I like all the other stuff that goes along with that, too. You know, big, big... Uh, in the camping and fishing and being outdoors. So I enjoy all of it. Yeah. When Paul came here to Vortex, now granted, Paul's been here for 22 years, like you said, and that's, that's just one year less than I've been alive. But when he first came here, I do know for a fact that everybody looked at Paul like he was John Wayne or, or this day and age <laughs> is John Wayne because we were all so unfamiliar, a bunch of Wisconsinites, so unfamiliar with just somebody who was so deeply rooted out west. When he came in, everybody was like, oh, my gosh, this guy is a cowboy. <laughs> Paul, I'll have you know. I'll take that as a big compliment. Yeah. <laughs> Paul, I'll, I'll have you know I still 
look at you as John Wayne. <laughs> and yes. as do I, but yeah. Now we're just more well, used to it. Well, that's great. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So we, We've coined a term in the office um, that is, it's, if something represents something very cool or it was a very adept way of doing something, um, it's very nice, as we call it. So, 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 so nice. So nice. So nice Cool, cool did not cut it. Yeah. All right, guys. I think we be- I think we better move along. Here yeah. All right. All right. And- that's a very nice level <laughs> humbleness of humbleness. Yeah. That's the word I was looking for. Very nice. Well, you know, and I I made I made an assumption when we kicked this off, not to drag it along. I was remiss in introducing myself, Mark Boardman, Vortex Optics. Been here just a touch over nine years at time of this recording. Uh, lifelong lifelong hunter, lifelong uh, fisherman. Born and raised Washington State, so I'm from the West Coast, and uh, slowly migrated east, and uh, yeah, love everything, big game hunting, actually all hunting, big game, waterfowl, turkeys, predators, you name it, I like to chase it, squirrels, and uh, yeah, and uh, I guess likewise with fishing, so kind of uh, a jack of all trades when it comes to that stuff, and um, yeah, love optics, love vortex, and and now hosting podcast the vortex nation podcast where we're going to talk about something we get asked a lot about here mark absolutely so jim you bring up the topic of the day and to your point yeah something that comes up quite a bit lots of customer questions lots of emails you see it come up on forums at times first focal plane rifle scopes versus second focal plane rifle scopes which one is better what are they for how do they work Interesting topic, a topic we're pretty familiar with here at Vortex. and right. uh, Yeah, and if you stick around, we'll mention something kind of interesting, too, at the end of this as well, depending God. on when this is aired. But, yeah. Perfect tease, Jim. Perfect tease. Well, thank you. But, yeah, so, I well, I, I'll just chime in here real fast. First focal plane, second focal plane. I think the biggest thing, so working in social media here, and I'm sure that Ryan and Paul can attest to this as well, because Ryan and Paul have been answering phones for quite a long time here as well helping people out, you know, we get asked just, uh, I think before we go into like why you would want first focal plane or second focal plane, just what is the difference? Oftentimes you'll see SFP or FFP. That's what we're also referring to. So the, the first focal plane and second focal plane, Paul is actually really good at describing. I think he was the first person who ever taught me what the difference was. So what do you think? Yeah, we can hit on that. Um, the first thing I'd point out to people is that uh, when we use the word plane inside the scope, what we're what we're sort of referring to is a is a flat plane, like you might almost think of it as a as a pane of glass that slides in the scope. And essentially, in these rifle scopes, there there are two points where a reticle can be placed inside the scope to to work and give you an image, and that is referred to as the first focal plane and the second focal plane. Now. We've all got a rifle scope here right in front of us to look at, which makes it easy. But I can describe it to the viewers and the listeners out here is that when you have first focal plane, that sort of sits right underneath the turrets of the rifle scope. And the second focal plane sits back underneath about where the magnification ring is on your scope. And I think most people can visualize that pretty easily when you think about it. But the key thing is, in between those two planes, you have an inner component of that rifle scope called the erector tube. And that's a small tube that's within a tube, and it's, it's how when you adjust the turrets on your scope, you, you make your left and right and up and down corrections. But that erector tube in there also houses the small lenses that run your zoom mechanism, which makes the image get bigger or smaller as you turn that magnification lever. And so what happens, you can put the, the reticle in the scope at one end or the other of that zoom mechanism. Now, if we have the reticle at the end that's underneath the turrets, it's out in front of the zooming lenses. If we have, on the other hand, the reticle's on the back end of the scope and it's back underneath the magnification lever, now it's on the, it's on the end of the zoom lenses where that image is being zoomed up or down. And so the, the end result to you as the viewer when you look at that scope is if you have first focal plane and you run the magnification lever, you will see that the image of the reticle grows and shrinks right along with the image of the target. If it's a second focal plane that's backed by the magnification lever, 
that reticle always looks the same size. It's on the other side of those zooming lenses. It's not being affected by the zooming lenses. And so now what you have is the reticle looks the same, you know, stays the same size to your eye, but the target object, you know, the target or the elk or the deer that you might be shooting at, that, that object is getting bigger or smaller. So it's very quick. You can determine very quickly in a rifle scope looking at it and running the magnification lever if you have first or second focal plane. And I think what we'll get into talking about here now is, is why is one advantageous over another? You know, what, what makes one better? What, you know, what works good about one and doesn't work about another? Right, right. And so, you know, I think a lot of times we hear people, first focal plane kind of has this stigma about it. And I think, I, I really can't put my finger on why it is. I think it's, it's maybe usually all things similar. First focal plane scope is a little bit more expensive than a second focal plane scope. So, and oftentimes people, people like to put numbers to things to make it seem better or worse or compare it in some other fashion you know, and so if they see all else is similar, but one is more expensive than the other, and it says FFP at the end, well, then that one must be better. You know, and, and, and I've, seen, I've seen that a lot, and, and a lot of people saying, you know, I need first full claim, but maybe not always. They don't always know why. But yeah, it yeah. just somebody yeah. told them that, hey, it'd be a really good idea for you. And certainly it is advantageous. Like we said, we're going to get into some of these as to why you might want first focal plane, but you know you don't always need it. Sometimes second focal plane gets you by just fine. You can save a little money for ammo, too. Well, and sometimes second focal plane is the better option. True. Depending True. on the application. Yeah. yeah. And, Paul, actually, you brought up a good point, too, so when you're talking about the reticle, I guess this is just another way. Sometimes, for some people, it just clicks a slightly different way for you when you think about this, but you know, the first focal plane, if you think about it, there's almost, and, and Paul, you can correct me if I'm, if I'm going off on tangent here, but there's almost like two images that you're seeing when you look through a rifle scope. And one of them is the image of a reticle. And one of them right, is the image right. of whatever you're looking at. And those two images meet up to, together, one another, with one another. And, and that reticle, you're overlaying over the image of what you're looking at with the rifle scope. Without a, without a reticle in there, you basically just have a spotting scope mounted to your gun. You know, and so, but you see <laughs> It'd be those, pretty hard to hit stuff. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. You see those two images in there, and... Uh, like Paul said, if if those two images are are meeting up together one another before it goes through all the zoom lenses, then they're both going to move with one another after they go through all the zooming process, essentially. But if they don't meet up with one another until after the image has been zoomed and gone through all of its process in the erector unit, they they don't meet up until after that. Well, then the reticle won't won't go through all that with the image. It only just meets up at the end. So just another way of thinking about it. Sometimes, and you know. That might click with people. But, you know, Ryan, what do you think about as far as, you know, first focal plane? That's obviously like the big one. What what are like some scenarios, or I guess just anybody, what are some scenarios where people are going to need or prefer first focal plane? Well, great question. I, I think looking at like a tactical rifle scope, especially stuff where we start getting higher magnifications, um, first focal plane has an inherent advantage. You know, as we touched on earlier, having the ability to retain your subtension values without changing throughout the magnification range or, or being able to use your reticle, I should say, at any magnification without having to worry about any additional math or hold over anything, I think for the, like, say, a police marksman or a military marksman would be paramount. You know, if, if you can imagine having a 25 power rifle scope and having to take a shot at, say, 64 yards, you're probably not going to run your optic all the way up. Um, but if we could come up with some foreseeable instance in which we would need to use a subtension holdover on the reticle, uh, I think it would be, you know, behoove the shooter to run a first focal plane. In a hunting so scenario... Reticle, reticle comes into play actually a lot. Sorry to yeah, interrupt, but yeah. one thing I don't know if we fully mentioned too is is your reticle will come into play here. Reticles, for so many people, are... It, it's essentially like a ruler yeah. inside your scope. Mm -hmm. Right. And right. I sometimes I think of it, you know, like like first focal plane, you're always changing the scale whenever you change the scale of an image with your zoom if you want that reticle with its hash marks on it which you know hash marks subtensions things like that kind of the same thing we're talking about if you want those subtensions to stay true in relation to the size of your image you know a deer you know whatever size it is or let's just say for for simplicity's sake if something is 100 inches you know well you want your your measurements on that reticle with the hash marks to correlate properly to that. And so if you grow that image and you shrink that image with your magnification, if your reticle doesn't also grow and shrink with it, then it's losing its 
correlation. Right, right. That. Yeah, it does. I mean, when you think of the advantages of first focal plane, it really does boil down to the reticle. You can imagine if we had a very simple wire crosshair in there, there would be no real advantage to first versus second focal plane. So it all comes down to when you want to use that reticle, and you're just like Jim said, if you want to use those marks to gauge holdovers and wind drifts and that sort of thing, all of a sudden that first focal plane becomes very advantageous. You know, now those those marks stay constant all the way through the mag range. Mm-hmm. So, And Ryan even touched on one thing, too, where he mentioned, you know, if you're taking a shot with a 5 to 25 or a 3 to 15 or something, you know, relatively larger magnification like that, and something comes out at 50 yards, you're probably not going to run it, you mentioned, all the way up. And so when we refer to all the way up, what we're referring to is the fact that second focal plane reticles, you know, some people some people worry about uh, you know, second focal plane reticles, because there's, there's usually only one magnification that if you have a reticle that has hash marks on it, or that, that ruler, if you will, there's usually one magnification in the whole range that it correlates properly with the image size. So the image size is at the right proportion to the reticle hash marks that you can use it for ranging, subtensions, holdovers, things like that. Exactly. And so oftentimes it's at the very high end of the magnification range. So that's why if something jumps out at 50... You're probably not going to want to go all the way up to 25 power or 20 power or something like that to then get the the range or a holdover or something like that. So that's that's what he's also referring to there. And that's an extreme scenario in some ways right, as it well. Is. Just I it mean, is. we're using like extreme numbers with that 50 yards because I mean you're not going to be doing too much holdover work at 50, right? <laughs> right. Very I can, true. I very can, true. I can give you guys a prime example of why that's advantageous. And I'll quickly throw out uh, first focal plane for hunters has been a little slow to be adapted. You know, it's definitely taken off much harder in the the tactical and long range and uh, sniper communities. It's definitely gaining awareness in the hunting communities. So, and, you know, here's a great example of why it makes a big difference. I had a fellow one year I was guiding on a sheep hunt and we had a long all day stalk to get to a position to shoot a ram. And we had gone down through a, a, a deep canyon and come up and, and we were on a very sharp rock edge. And I knew as soon as we crested that rock edge that we were going to be in shooting distance of these rams and potentially very close within 100 yards, 150 yards. And so I had the, the, the guy that I was with run his scope down to about 4X in case we popped over the ridge and he was going to have to shoot very quickly at a ram below us. Well, lo and behold, we, we crested over the ridge, and the rams had already heard us or gotten wind of us, and they were trotting out of this valley on the far side already going away, and they were 300 yards away. And this all happened, you can imagine, just in, in seconds. You know, there was no time to think. It was, it was get a pack down and, and get ready to shoot. And I was calling ranges for the guy shooting, and I would call a range, and I'd shoot, and he immediately went over the top. And now the rams are moving faster and, and out of this basin. And that went on three times, called shots, and each time he was going well over the top of the rams. And this all, you know, it was all said and done in just a few minutes. And, and afterwards, clean mess. The rams were gone, and we're scratching our heads trying to figure it out. And it, it only took a few minutes to realize, and he was shooting a scope that had a BDC-style reticle in it. So he had holdover marks on his reticle that he was using to shoot at. And as I called ranges for the guy, he was using the appropriate mark on the reticle and shooting. But he kept going over the top. Well, as soon as we looked at it afterwards and realized what, what had happened is the scope was keyed for about 12x, just as Jim was talking about, to make those reticle marks work. And he was shooting at 4x, which is what we had set the scope to as we crested over the ridge. And so what that means is that, that difference between 4x and 12x made him shoot over the top of those rams every time, way right. over the top of them. Right. And, and it was a, you know, that case where if that scope had been first focal plane, it wouldn't have mattered whether he was at 4x or 12x. He would have been right on the money. So that's a, you know, it's a great example of where that big advantage lies for first focal plane. I mean, it's a good, exa- a good example in, in a situation like that. If you, if you plan on using the holdovers in your reticle in, in a situation like that, and, and really any high-stress scenario uh, where maybe uh, you know, adrenaline's going or your heart rate, so that could be a hunting situation or competition shooting situation or what have you, but it, that first focal plane can be a fail-safe measure. You know, you don't necessarily have to be right. cognizant of right. where your scope is at in the zoom range. And then on the flip side, you don't always want to be 
you don't want to be maxed out all right. the time. There's right. there's a lot of situations where you want to take advantage of the lower end of your zoom range, be it maybe there's uh, atmospherics going on, maybe there's a lot of uh, heat waves or mirage, uh, maybe it's a low light scenario. Right. You want uh, a wider field of you view. Want a, you want a wider yeah. field of view. You know, you want to. So there's there's just a lot of situations where you may not want to be topped out on your zoom range, but you still want to use you know those subtension markings or graduations or even for lack of a better term, you know, the data that's available in, in some of these more complex reticles that are, you know, can be highly usable if you, uh, you know, if, if you know how to use them. And, and actually, I'll, I'll bring up one other point. You know, we're talking about the reticles and using the subtensions and, and the different markings for your holdovers. All that is contingent upon a person going through the process of getting accurate ballistic data for the load that they're pushing through that particular rifle. It's not very a one-size-fits-all. I mean, you got to put very in true. some work on the front end. That is that is very true. Uh, Ryan, I know you're big into, you know, chronographing yeah, yeah. a lot when you're when you're sighting in. Then maybe this can be a brief tangent real fast just to, to plug just actually getting your data. Because no matter what reticle you're using, if you're using second focal plane, if you're using first focal plane, even just with a second focal plane duplex reticle, if you ever have to dial that thing, you need to know what to dial in it. And really a reticle, when we talk about holding over or dialing your turrets, it's two means of doing the same right. thing. Exactly. Either way, if you dial your turrets, you move your reticle physically inside the rifle scope, and thus it makes you move your whole rifle, thus moving your barrel in a different position to, to have that bullet up, end up in a different place. And if you just use holdovers without dialing, you're moving your barrel, your whole rifle, to get the holdovers, those hash marks, onto a different, or onto the, an animal, a target, whatever it might be. And so all the all that we're trying to do with rifle scopes is, is essentially then move your barrel. Uh, and so if you don't have good data going in, you won't know what to dial, what to hold over. Ryan, what do you what do you recommend? There? Great question. Um, so here's another real-life example. Uh, our local gun range here, uh, we're at an elevation of about 864 feet above sea level at the shooting bench on the 500-meter range. And uh, so if I chronograph my hunting rifle, um, and I did this before I went to Wyoming this year, chronographed my hunting rifle, I got that data, ran it through the ballistic calculator and came up with a drop chart and validated it out, out to distance at that particular level, at that 864 feet above sea level. When I went out to Wyoming for an antelope hunt, we re-chronoed and checked everybody's guns and we found at a thousand yards, and granted that's farther than I'd ever engage a game animal under any circumstance, um, at a thousand yards, there was a one milliradian discrepancy, and that equates to 36 inches of error. So huge. I mean, it would have been a total miss on, on anything that I would have been hunting. Uh, a mil at a thousand yards is, is a ton. Um, so, you know, obviously that discrepancy in elevation or atmospherics can weigh in immensely on how your reticle is going to behave or where your holdover points are going to be, your dial points. So it is important to to gather accurate data to take into consideration things like elevation changes um, or even temperature swings because it can be you know very impactful to to what you can put into your scope. Touching on the the hunting thing with first focal plane a little bit, we see in a lot of these shows that we're going to like the Western Hunting and Conservation Expo out in Salt Lake City, uh, the long range hunting you know movement is really coming along. We're starting to see a lot more high powered rifle scopes being utilized for that. We're seeing crossovers from tactical rifle scopes now into the hunting market because of their expanded capabilities. And one argument for the first focal plane, you know, why you would use it in a situation like that is not often will you find yourself being able to run at high magnification. And I think about, you know, the past 20 big game animals that I've taken across the country, and they, they haven't been exceptionally far, but most of them have been, you know, in the morning hours or in the evening hours where light is at a premium. And if I was running something like, a, say, a 5 to 25 PST Gen 2, at 25 power, I'd be at, at somewhat of a disadvantage for light, have to dial the optic back to, say, 10, 12, in order to have adequate light to see the target make an ethical shot. If it was a second focal plane and I wasn't going to rely on the turret, you know, to make that shot, we would end up just like Paul's, Paul's guy did and, and over the back of that critter. So the first focal plane would, would completely negate any problem that might be there using the reticle, which is really quite handy, especially when hunting or shooting with a high magnification rifle scope. You know, you just, I, th I think overall the benefits far outweigh any negative that might be present in that scenario. Yeah. yeah. Well, we, we've talked, we've talked a fair bit about hunting here. Actually, you know, first focal plane can have a really great, mm -hmm. really great impact on hunting to both your guys' points. 
Now, one of the other big areas where first focal plane has become very popular, I'd say, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it started. I, I, I can't attest to it starting with this, but you know, you talk about PRS competition shooters and a lot of the other long range competition shooters. And actually, Mark, you, you kind of mentioned this earlier, high stress, oftentimes, you know, in that case, you're on the clock, but if you're, if it's a tactical, you know, duty scenario, you're on a different type of clock, if you will, you know, those kind of environments where you don't always have the time to figure out what magnification you're on, dial your turrets even, those seem to be... Right, right. You know, it comes back to that key thing of not being locked into a single magnification that makes all those subtensions work. First focal planes, you can be on any magnification. You know, and the example I gave was a little bit extreme. It went from 4X to 12X. But what happens in these, in a second focal plane scope, you have to remember, you don't have to be anywhere near that extreme. If you're even, you know, let's say your scope is calibrated at 12X, and that's what it's set up to make all those subtensions work right. Even if you bump that, that mag lever a little bit, even if you bump that down to 11X and, and, you know, maybe you were aware that it should be at 12, but you've just turned it, you've rubbed it on your coat or your pack or something, even that's going to be enough if you use those subtension marks to throw your shot off. It might not be an extreme difference, but every time you're off of that mag setting, you, you know, you do affect that shot. To your to what you were talking about a little bit there, Jim, with the and and this is you know my my background is predominantly you know Western hunting background, so I'm I'm gleaning this off of probably more just talking with guys that are competition shooters or PRS shooters, but or really any scenario where you're going to have to engage multiple targets in rapid succession, and you you kind of talk to that with the time factor, not needing to change your magnification, not needing to dial your turret. And be anywhere within that zoom range and use the, the subtension markings and the wind holds in your reticle. You know, if somebody's calling out, okay, 550, and you know that hold, bam, and, you know, 0.2 seconds later, you're trying to rip another target at 800 yards. You can do that all very quickly if you're, you know, with the practice, you know, and if, and if you're well-versed in using that system, you know, you can, you can engage those targets and be effective, you know, in, in a very... You know, yeah, right. quick and, manner. Very valuable and, for those guys, obviously. Yeah. And with practice, we've all seen around here, not just not just our shooters or, you know, guys at this office, but also other guys out there shooting, that you can make very accurate shots at some pretty extreme distances, not on your maximum magnification. Absolutely. I mean, you talk about a 5 to 25 PSD, that one's come up a couple of times, or a 4.5 to 27 Razor Gen 2, even a 6 to 24 HSLR you can, on 10 power, get to a grand quite easily. I mean, yeah, you know, absolutely. It, it's, it's it, sure, if you're trying to shoot groups at 1,000 on a piece of paper, yeah, maybe you'll want to you'll bump it up. But in the case of shooting steel targets or something like that, that middle power setting is actually very usable. I mean, heck, Ryan Muckinern here shot out to 1,000 with a 9 power Diamondback Tactical you know, you can you can do a lot with that. Sometimes people almost treat their optics. I think when you get a variable power optic, let's say it's a five twenty five, three to fifteen, whatever it is. Some people treat it as a three or fifteen, five or twenty five, <laughs> right. and they forget right. that there's 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 quite a few twenty levels of magnification in there, or or something along those lines, and they're actually very usable. Yeah, and you know, it, of course, we're all very familiar with it. But for people who haven't spent a lot of time behind a rifle scope. In, in view of what Jimmy's saying, the other thing you find out is is a lot of times the scopes are friendlier to get your eye behind it's at really less magnification point. than full. You know, you'll just find you pick up that sight picture a lot quicker. It's brighter. You know, it may seem wider to field of view. It just makes it a lot of times more pleasant to get behind the scope when you're not all the way up there. Yep. I know when we were at the, the Vortex Extreme the last time, we were shooting at 1,200 and, you know, banging away for quite some time. And I look down and just um, very naturally just, you know, looking at different targets and acquisition and, and just what was comfortable for me. I was shooting a four and a half to 27, but I was consistently right about that 18 power range. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, even, you can find things so much easier. Yeah, too. And that was a big part of it. I mean, out there at the Vortex Extreme, there's so much sagebrush that oftentimes a guy's like, yeah, you got a target at 300. And you're like, dude, you could have told me I had a target 
right in front of my face and I wouldn't have been able to find it, you know, and, and bumping that down sometimes a little bit just gives you a little bit more scanning ability. Mm-hmm. But Absolutely. It, it seems like, and we should, we've been talking about first focal plane here a lot and, uh, and it's, we'll get into second focal plane. It'd be interesting to hear what we have to say about second focal plane too, because we've hyped up first focal plane so much, right? but it seems, it seems to me like from what Ryan, Paul, Mark, you guys have said, first focal plane is something that primarily the guys who want to use their reticle a lot, that's, that's the kind of customer that is going to want to get first focal plane. Is that I'm going to, well I'm going to throw a caveat into that throw it in because there. I'm going to, because predominantly how I used for how I use a first focal plane reticle is generally in scenarios and it, and it doesn't have to be hunting. It just generally falls in that for me. If I, if I'm on a hunt and it's an, an open landscape where I anticipate having longer distance shots, I'm going to be using a rifle scope like the, um, the Viper HSLR, which is a six to 24 by 50 first focal plane. Generally in those scenarios, if I get a longer range shot, I have the time to dial my turret, but I still, if I'm with somebody or even just myself and I, and I want to, you know, gauge the wind or somebody says, Hey, hold this amount of wind. I'll die. I prefer to dial my turret all day long so I can hold dead on, but I'll hold that wind off the reticle. And that first focal plane optical system allows me to hold accurate wind anywhere within the zoom range as well. Uh, that's, that's, that's true. Fair. I bet it I also think, helps for follow-up shots. Too, yeah. mm-hmm. One thing I think would be at this point uh, good to point out to the listeners is that when you dial the turret as opposed to using the reticle is that the turret is not sensitive to magnification, whether or not you have first or second focal plane. Mm-hmm. And that's what Mark was kind of alluding to. So what, what happens there? is the shooter, you don't have to worry about being at a particular magnification when you dial your turret as opposed to using that reticle. Yeah. You're using but what, the center what, reticle. Yeah, you're using the center of the reticle and you're making that adjustment with the turret. So it doesn't care what magnification you're on. But as Mark pointed out, the thing that guys forget is that most shooters, rather than dialing the wind on the turret, they prefer to hold for wind using that reticle, whether you, you, know, whether you dial or you use eleva- the turret for elevation. Almost everybody holds for wind using the reticle. You know, wind wind corrections are dynamic. It's something that you're you're sort of you're you're constantly making little changes to where you hold depending on what you feel the wind is. A lot of times dialing a turret for wind is just not very handy to do in the field. And so there's where the rub comes in. You know, you can dial that elevation on the turret, but when you're gonna hold for wind and you're gonna use those marks on the reticle to gauge your wind. Now we're back to that same advantage of the first focal plane in that it doesn't care what magnification you're at. So even with the turrets, that's, you know, it's a, it's a plus having that. It's good stuff. By the time people are done listening to this podcast, our second focal plane sales will drop <laughs> off the face of the cliff. No, just kidding. It, but it does, it does. Actually, that's a really good point you brought up there, Paul, too. And, and as we segue a little bit into second focal plane, one thing that we get on social media a lot, people ask about, First focal plane, second focal plane, and and we'll we'll get into this. There are times where you don't need first focal plane. You can actually get by just fine with Absolutely. second focal plane. But a lot of times people ask, you know, hey, I, I really want to get X Y Z, and I want to get it in first focal plane. And you know, sometimes I ask people, well, what is it about first focal plane that that you really want? And sometimes they they present a perfectly valid argument for why they want first focal plane. It's okay, cool. Let's let's help you find that. But sometimes. They say, well, it, it just seems like I can only shoot it on the highest magnification. And what Paul was getting at is, oh, no, you can shoot it on, you know, any magnification. If you're dialing and shooting off the center crosshair, it's, it's not that everything, it's not that it's unusable on any other magnification. It's just that you're going to want to dial and shoot off your center crosshair on those other magnifications. And then once you make it to that predetermined magnification level, then you start opening up some more possibilities to use your reticle or something along those lines. But what do you guys think about second focal plane though? When, when would, I will say this of the probably 30 or 40 rifle scopes I own, the enormous majority are second focal plane. And, and I would like to say that I you know fancy myself somewhat of a fancy shooter. Um, and so you would think first focal plane would be it, but, but really most of my rifle scopes are on hunting rifles. So I'm in low magnification ranges from, you know, one to six, one and a half to, uh, eight or, or two and a half to eight or 
two and a half to ten, things like that. The three to nine, you know, the classic rifle scope for a hunting application traditionally will be second focal plane versus first focal plane. So I I wouldn't say I necessarily prefer first focal plane, uh, but I can make an argument towards it. I think for a more or a wider swath of application and use uh, being hassle free for the user, but. Like I'm from central Minnesota and, and so we, we hunt in shotgun and muzzleloader country. You can't use a high powered centerfire rifle. And so I use a, a Browning A bolt twelve gauge, really a neat gun. And I've got a Viper HS two and a half to ten on it. And it's a man's rifle. Yeah, that's right. And uh I was thinking a deer that I had taken in two thousand and fifteen or two thousand sixteen, I had I had gone up uh to, to do a, a follow up shot on it, uh, and it was relatively tight country in close quarters. And I turned my optic back to two and a half, and I actually jumped the animal um, and was able to make a, a quick snapshot at about 40 yards, you know, and finish it off. Had I been using a first focal plane, like an equivalent optic in, in that scenario, my reticle would have been so small that I would have had to have been dependent on illumination, or I just wouldn't have been able to see my reticle. Uh, so the second focal plane in that scenario, I think, is a, a you know, probably a better choice. I'm not going to tell the guy who hunts heavily wooded country. Or, or things like that, that he has to have a first focal plane, um, especially when he's running a lower magnification rifle scope or something, say, under 12 uh, or so. I, I just don't find it necessary for most hunting applications. And, and that's where I think second focal plane lends itself so useful and still very popular is, is the, the majority of the hunting crowd, you know, and even Western states. Like I've used the Viper HS 2.5 to 10 on any number of Western hunts and for species like antelope and mule deer and Western whitetails and never an issue. It's not like that. But, you know, for a, a no-nonsense rifle scope that, you know, as long as you're mindful of where you're at in your magnification range, it's going to accomplish everything you need it to, you know, using your reticle. And you shouldn't have anything to worry about. So, mm. yeah, right. right. At, at those and, short distances, usually you're not holding yeah. over. Yeah. Right. And that's one thing you brought up, I think, that a lot of people don't always consider is that with the first focal plane, there are, in order to get that hassle-free, quote-unquote, uh, ability to use it when the reticle grows and shrinks with the image he, the reticle is growing and shrinking with the image and so like you said when it shrinks down with that smaller image some it's pretty tiny oh yeah and and you know if you don't have your illumination on or you don't have time to fiddle with that or, or just you don't have illumination that can be pretty tough to pick up right it's not yeah what yeah. Ha- you know what ha- it's exactly right what happens is in in those scopes is you lose some ability at the low end of the magnification range in low light to see the reticle. Yeah, you know, and and I think Ryan's points were very valid, and I think that probably mashed, you know, meshes up with a big, big chunk of the hunting community out there in that, you know, most everyone has grown up using second focal plane scopes, and and many times they work absolutely fine. The drawback to the first focal planes is is seeing that reticle. You know, they do, they're, they're a little more keyed with long range precision type shooting and they don't necessarily work really well with that short range fast stuff you know many of the first focal plane scopes do use an illumination knob and that's where that really comes into play is being able to see that reticle at the lowest power when it's a very fine little crosshair in your field of view but when you can light it up and illuminate it then it becomes a little more usable yeah you know and you think about when you might be at at those lower mags right you know in in the early morning hours, in the in the evening hours, when you right, kind of have that right. waning light, where you know it, it can become, I mean, it's just tougher viewing conditions in general, no matter what optic you're using, right? But then you start, in essence, you know, shrinking that reticle. You know, I mean, not only are the the substances to become, you know, less usable or not less usable, but you know, almost I mean, invisible though. Y- yeah. You know, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just hard to, see. to me, to me, because I use both. And to me, it's like application specific totally. and, and maybe even more anticipated distance of shot specific. That's a, that's a big factor. You know, yeah. I spent, you know, nine hours talking about the advantages of first focal plane. Right. But that's all, I guess, under the, or at least, you know, as I'm talking about it, I'm thinking in of terms of an extremely high likelihood that the bulk of my shots are going to take place at longer distances. Right. Higher magnification, uh, relatively higher, higher magnification doesn't always have to be the max, but exactly, exactly. You know, and then you get into you know scenarios whether it's you know just a, a landscape hunting landscape, possibly urban landscape. To me, it becomes not 
to me, the, sec- the second focal plane optical system then is actually going to shine. Yeah. Oh, certainly. Yeah. Definitely. No, and I, I agree with that. I, if I'm going to hunt with the first focal plane rifle scope, it's going to be in a place where I am going to be anticipating taking a, a we'll call it a more technical shot, or I may need every advantage with reticle that I can get. If it's going to be, again, you know, where Mark and I hunt northern Missouri or, or back home in Minnesota or even here in Wisconsin, uh, it's just I don't think that it's a requirement. I don't think it's a necessity, and I think it, it can actually be a hindrance using a first focal plane um, like that. So, yeah, definitely application-based, suit, suit the optic for the, the task at hand. And for the casual rangegoer, so, you know, we mentioned a lot about hunting here, but I'll, I'll pitch in on the casual rangegoer too. So I've actually found that as I've gotten into the sport of shooting, even if I'm going out, look, you know, more long-range shooting at the range, that as I'm starting out, second focal plane is a nice thing to start with not just because it's actually usually, again, all things similar. It's usually less expensive than the first focal plane option, so there's a, there's a plus well, that's to one it. Of, that's one of the other big advantages. Right, that yeah. We, you know, we, we, we do need to point out that they, there's always a, there's a, there's a cost-benefit yeah. with and second I'd, focal yeah, plane. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be curious, too, Paul, you could speak to it, too, the, the reason as to why first focal plane is usually more expensive. But, but regarding the, the, the newer shooters, just casual range goers, again, long-range guys even, if you're just getting started, it's not bad to go second focal plane because, again, that's where you're going to be relying on your turrets a lot. And if you can understand, once you get into shooting, if you can understand your turrets, you have figured out a lot. And Because it, it is complex when you first get into things. You're, you're trying to account for shooting a tiny little rock, significant distances, and hitting a plate usually no bigger than your torso. And to be able to learn your dope, you know, your, your data on previous engagements, and... Understand how that works from your zero and then dial your turrets. Once you understand how all that works, you know, I'm dialing XMOA or XMRAD. Once you understand how all that works, then your reticle is doing the same thing. You just don't have to dial your turrets anymore. It's a little bit quicker if you use a first focal plane. So almost, you know, I recommend to a lot of guys if they're starting out, why get second focal plane, learn how to use your turrets. And then when you get a first focal plane optic, now you understand both how to use your turrets and how to understand measurements. MOA and MRAD bullet drop, and you can use that thing to its full advantage. No, and th- and there's some people that never plan or intend to go through the process of getting that ballistic data. Mm-hmm. So for that guy or person, it's really it's almost becomes a, a moot point unless. And why would you even get first focal plane? The, I I'd say the only reason would be that maybe a specific uh, rifle scope offered an additional set of features. Right, that they wanted, perhaps, but right. but the the first or second becomes a moot point because you need to have that information to make. Yeah, you, know, you have to you have to have kind of a grasp of you know what MOAs are and what MRADs are and, and what validating a you know a drop curve is. And there are a lot of things that go into that to to really understanding it and being able to take full advantage of you know of of using the turret or using those marks on the reticle. It takes a little bit of you know, a little bit of homework on the on the shooter's part, right? But why? Okay, so Paul, you you've worked with product development quite often. Why sure. is first focal plane oftentimes the more expensive option? It it almost always is more expensive. Although I'll say it's it, it's generally if you've let's say you have a scope and it's at a at a given quality price point with the features and the glass and the mechanicals. It's generally not a gigantic difference. You know, I think what we see is many times in some of our scope series, it's it's been maybe $100, maybe $150 difference. I think where it really comes down to is simply the cost of the reticle itself. When we look, you remember we talked about the reticles being located fore and aft of those magnifying lenses inside the inside the erector tube in there. The second focal plane reticles, which are backed by your eyepiece, those are physically a larger reticle. You can actually, you know, you can hold the plate that that's on. It's sort of about the size of a nickel in there. And you can, you know, you, you can literally look at that crosshair and you can see it in there. It's something that's, that's pretty large and visible. And generally fairly simple designs. You don't see really elaborate designs on the second focal plane reticles. Conversely, when we look at the first focal plane, they're out in front of all those magnifying lenses. And so what happens is the the reticle itself is a much 
fancier sort of mechanism. It's a small plate of glass. They're always etched on glass. They're not a simple wire or foil style reticle. So they're a, they're a glass etched design, which is typically sandwiched between two layers of glass. They're very small. If you were to pick one of those up, you can barely see that reticle image to the eye. It's, it's, it's teensy tiny in there. It's faint. You almost need a magnifying glass to look at it and see it. So I think you can, you can envision that by its nature, it's a, it's a more expensive part to manufacture and build. So that's where part of the cost is. And I think the other part of that cost is in the fact that the alignment and assembly on those first focal plane reticles is much, much touchier. It's much deeper it's, inside the it's tube. It's deeper inside. There's, there's a higher level of precision that has to be used in installing that reticle. Yeah, because if you got angry at your rifle scope and really wrenched that thing, you could take the eyepiece off. And when you get to that, then that a second focal plane reticle is right there. It's right there in front right of Right there, you. and yep. you can make those adjustments on the fly, yeah. I'm sure, when you're manufacturing it. Granted, I've never, I've never built one from the ground up, of course. But I'd imagine in a first focal plane, you've got to put the whole thing together, and it's not until it's all together that you can see if there's even just the tiniest... Misalignment, or whatever, and then you got to take the whole or installed off center right, or something right. like that. So yeah, there's just there's 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 more cost and time and effort that goes into putting them together. All right, and it it seems like, you know, most of the time you're finding first focal plane in those kind of more upper echelon pieces. Like we started, That's, for example, with I think was our first first our first first focal plane the Razor five to twenty was one was our Gen one Razor, right. which is a very right. nice heavy duty. Tactical rifle scope, very high quality. Still yeah. in the lineup today. St- still there. Because still, of those reasons. Yeah. Still around, despite yeah. the fact that there's a Gen 2 Razor. But then we've also got, of course, the PST series in first focal plane. And my my subtle segue here into, <laughs> uh, the, well, there's the Viper HSLR, which can't be forgotten. Great first focal plane optic. Kind of a, a, a do-it-all optic. Long-range really. hunting yeah. gets used a lot for it. Yeah. yeah. But, but then uh, below that, we haven't had anything until... And depending on when this gets aired, we we don't know exactly when it'll get aired. But a new product, the Diamondback Tactical First Focal Plane. I wish there was a drum roll. Maybe Ryan can. <laughs> maybe Ryan Van here. There's two Ryans. Ryan Van, the master the, MC, the can get a little beat. drum roll going. But uh, guys, the, the Diamondback Tactical First Focal Plane. That series started with just a, a three to nine and a four to twelve second focal plane optic that tracks like great, anything great else turrets, really great nice turrets, turrets yeah. awesome optical system and ryan muckenhern shot it out to a thousand yards with a three to nine on a ruger american a setup that you can do for less than a thousand bucks and now at a crazy good price point i don't even know if we have it fully locked in now at the time when we're when we're recording this but more of an entry-level first focal plane optic guys so like why is this so exciting if I haven't already hyped it up enough. Well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to put the capabilities of the first focal plane optic into the shooter's hands that cannot or will not afford $1,000 plus. This is really pretty cool. And it's, a, it's, it's almost a really neat uh, coincidence that this comes along now where we have like the new um, NRL 22 League and the Precision Rifle League for 22 Long Rifle coming too, because now it's oh, like yeah. this is like this is bread and butter. That and uh, you've got guys getting into the gas gun yep. PRS yep. too, wanting to do those with first focal plane optics. So we, I guess we didn't even mention any of the specs, but we probably should. So we've got a four to sixteen by fifty. I think it's a forty-four. Four to sixteen by forty-four, and a six to twenty-four by fifty. Both first focal plane. And you've got, I, I've looked through these things, the, the optics seem excellent. You've oh, got, yeah. which reticle is in there? EBR2C. The, or EBR4, excuse me. EBR4. EBR4s, right. So these, this is essentially, it's a, it's a hash mark style reticle. It does not use the Christmas tree pattern, though. So you, okay. have, you have nice hold over marks for wind and, and bullet right. drop. Quite a lot of information in there. It is. It's, it's really a nice reticle. So, and then, so you've got those, you've got tall, exposed turrets. Yeah, available in MOA or MRED. Yeah. And it's, it's a side parallax adjustment knob. So <laughs> one of our first podcasts, we're doing our best at explaining something without you being able to see it. This is interesting. But it, it's truly it's truly exciting. The scope is scope-shaped. So if, if you want to visualize that, folks. It, it has an objective. <laughs> Did we mention black? It is a black scope. <laughs> it is a black scope. Very yeah. attractive-looking package. It is. So really nice. Uh, great turret feel on them. Very smooth, precise-turning turrets. 
what do we got for what's what's our our rotation amount there, Ryan? Uh, per per revolution, fifteen MOA, which is which is really cool. That's actually pretty dense turret for this kind of thing. I mean, when you get to the PST Gen two line and some of the Razor lines, you're going to get a little higher turret density, but fifteen MOA per revolution is pretty awesome. You know, we were ten MOA for or twelve MOA, I guess, for a while, and and that's uh, you know that's that's really stepping it up. This is going to be a great optic for the guy or gal who wants to get into that PRS or that that NRL or NRL 22 or PRS 22 league or for the shooter that does want to reap the benefits of first focal plane without without having to to really step up to that price point that thousand dollar plus price point and uh, I, I was lucky enough to get to fire some of the original test prototypes and this was some time ago and and not knowing exactly what they were when they had rolled off the uh, the prototype line and getting them on the rifle, I was very, very pleasantly surprised optically and mechanically with what this was. And I had all the speculation in the world as to what it could have been. And, you know, when we started talking about, hey, this is going to be an entry into the Diamondback tactical line, it's like, well, that is a smoking deal. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, look out, uh, look out, shooting world. This is going to be a pretty cool one. Oh, we didn't mention either 30 mil tube. Yeah. Yep. Which is one thing. That people asked for in the original Dimeback Tactical. Still, actually, quite a bit of travel in that original Dimeback Tactical, which is the one-inch tube. And now we get a 30 mil tube with this first focal plane model. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you could still, realistically speaking, with the prices that, again, like I said, I'm not sure we're 100% locked in, but I know we're just about there at the time of this recording. But you could probably still do with the, with the right rifle. Hence, we, we did it with the Ruger American with the old Dimeback Tactical good set of our pro rings you could probably still do a thousand yards plus certainly plus for less than a thousand bucks with this too yeah i think you're gonna be right in there yeah so very very exciting i mean an extremely just feature rich highly functional rifle scope you know the zoom ranges you know with the four to 16 and the six to 24 extremely versatile man for a person wanting to get get into the that style of shooting but doesn't have a monster budget like mm-hmm. I'd say most of us don't you know or a lot of people totally. don't I think it's just poised to right to be uh, right. be a hit with, with folks right right, right. well it just you know it, it's gonna as Ryan touched on earlier it's gonna bring that first focal plane scope into reach for a lot of guys that just maybe couldn't afford it previously yeah so. for and, and for so long too like you mentioned the Viper HSLR that one goes for around eight to nine hundred bucks I think Nine forty nine for the nine forty yep. okay nine fifty yep. so I was a little bit off but you know that has been like as close to our entry into first focal plane as you could get and you alluded to the fact it's kind of more set up for long range western hunting it's been very popular for that it's a very yeah. good scope yeah. for that and it has you know it has the exposed elevation turret for those of you not familiar exposed elevation turret capped windage so you don't you know bump it around too much in the brush while you're carrying around out there MOA only correct six to twenty four. And, you know, that scope, like 950 bucks, we understand that's not pocket change for anybody. And really, even as is, it's, it, it's not like your perfect target shooting, range going, tactical style. It's not an ideal scope for that. It can do it. But this optic here, for a significantly more entry-level price, can actually do probably more of that type of shooting, recreational, tactical, range going just all that kind of stuff in first focal plane it can actually probably do it better than the hslr can you know and you know you could do western hunting with it as well but then you know then you might start looking at the hslr it might be a little bit better at that so there's trade-offs but you get an optic more well suited for those types of applications with this so yeah i could definitely see a lot of crossover with this one for sure Mm -hmm. dimensionally it's 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 well suited for a hunting rifle like usable power range and size weight it's it Mm -hmm. is it's a pleasing little package mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, nicely scaled turrets on mm-hmm. it. They're not they're not tremendously tall. They're, I think they're just a good dimension. They're easy to grasp and turn, but they don't stick way up in the air either. So they'll be they'll be appealing to a lot of guys. Yeah, it's a pretty sleek package for sure. Sweet. So that again, like we said, we're not exactly sure when this will air, but if if it, we're hoping to air sometime around the time that these are released, and so it'll be still pretty fresh for everybody, but. What do you what do you say? Do you think we get into we covered a lot for first focal plane, second focal plane. Do we get into our last call? I think I think we're ready. I think we're ready. We probably there's probably something that we missed. The biggest thing here with this podcast, folks, the listeners, this is this is just listen. If you have any questions at all, please let us know. 
or if there's anything we missed, didn't cover, one thing I can already think of something I'm going to mention in my last call that we didn't cover <laughs> um, because it, it it's its own podcast. But yeah, so Ryan, Paul, we're get, we're going to do like a last call thing, you know, like final final thoughts about this whole thing. But what do you say? All right, Paul. All right. Well, I I think if nothing else, if this has explained the mysteries of, of first focal plane a little bit to guys that maybe have heard that term and, and they see it bounced around a lot, but they don't quite know what it is. I think we've done a good job here. You know, hopefully it's, it's cleared that up a little bit. And if you haven't thought about buying a first focal plane, maybe this will put the bug in your head to think about it. I would say that uh, if you're on the fence on whether or not you need a first focal plane or a second focal plane, or if you, you think your second focal plane is somehow outdated, or if the guy at your gun club is trying to talk you out of a first focal plane, fit it to your application. If you've got Good a question advice. about it, just give us a call. You know, we're fortunate enough. We, we do a lot of shooting and hunting. I think we can probably lend some decent advice as to where a first focal plane would certainly be advantageous or where you can save, save some time, save some money, and go with a second focal plane and, and be just as happy. So, yeah, suit it to, uh, to application. What, what's the number here? Uh, 1-800-426-0048. We're here for you all the time. Perfect. Good last call. Mark, you want, you want, how about you close it out? I'll do my last call. Well, because you have, you have an additional thing. So True. Well, mine's not going to be an additional. Mine's going to precursor probably what will be another podcast, I think. So, Part of my last call is a tip to go earlier in the last call section because Ryan and Paul really took a conglomeration <laughs> of what I was thinking. But, I mean, I mean, I think they nailed it. I mean, people want to put things into buckets, right? Like A is better than B, like, and, and have it be like this absolute thing. And, I mean, we even to almost have a similar question. Somebody will say, well, what's the best scope for my AR? It's like, well... How do you intend to use it? And I, and I think that's one of the big takeaways is how do, you, how do you intend to use it? And that'll dictate, you know, essentially which optical system, you know, first or second is going to be, be the best one for you. So right. that's, Yeah, it can start steering you down that path of narrowing it into what's best for you. Absolutely. For sure. So that's what All I right. got. Okay. My last call is, okay, so like you guys said, I mean, first full complaint, second full complaint, application-based, all that good stuff. I... I totally agree with it, but I won't say it again just because everyone's heard it. One thing that I know we didn't get to that some people might be wondering, we, we started talking about some lower powers, but there is a type of scope, low power variable. One to six, one to eight, one to fours, that kind of thing that people have asked, you know, about first focal plane, second focal plane. There is a whole talk worth of thoughts on those Times where, or applications where, scopes even, just individual scopes where second focal plane or first focal plane might make sense. That is something that I, that I think would be a really good podcast to do in the future and talk about. because Yeah, that one might go on for a little it while. It could go on for yeah. a while. And I think, I think that there's, there is some application for like a first focal plane one to something. I'm, I'm not going to deny the fact that there, that there is some application for it. That said, I think that there is... A, a huge myth out there that it is the way to go and it's the only way to do low power variables or, or if you don't have first focal plane you're, you're missing something with your low power variable but we'll leave that for a whole nother a whole nother talk <laughs> so that's that's my last call awesome I'd say that's a wrap that's that's All a wrap right. we're still working All on right. after the last call what we say so for now we just kind of go with like bye I think that'll work. Until next time. It's it's been working for years. It, It has. It has. So from all of us, bye. 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 Goodbye. All right. That'll wrap it up for this episode of the Vortex Nation podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hit that subscribe button so you can always stay up to date on the latest happenings over here at the Vortex Nation podcast. Leave us a review or comment down below. We want to hear what you have to say about the show, maybe what you like, maybe what you didn't like, so that way we can make these podcasts as good as they can be. Hey, if you were interested in some of the information you heard here too, but you don't want to go all the way back and listen to the whole thing again just to get out one little nugget of information, check out the link in the description because we'll have this in PDF form with uh, pretty much everything that we've talked about 
You can also follow us on Instagram at Vortex Nation Podcast. We'll be posting about each episode released, so that way you can go back, find these things, maybe grab a little nugget of information that you could take with you to the range, out in the field, or uh, maybe to the kitchen if we're talking about some good food. So, again, everybody, thanks, and happy hunting and shooting. We appreciate it. Have a good one.